Take your Bibles tonight, if you would. Uh, Hebrews chapter number 5 is where we started the last few weeks. We'll start there again, Hebrews chapter number 5. If you have not been with us, then you would know it, but uh, we have started a new series of messages. And this series of messages are on the principles of life. If you remember from previous weeks, if you were here, a principle is a rule that we live by. It's a fixed policy. It's a foundation by which we make our decisions. We, during the summer, we looked at doctrines of the faith. This really isn't doctrines. These are principles. And uh, I've given a few examples through the weeks, but uh, you know what? Uh, these things ought to guide us in every decision that we make. Look there at Hebrews 5.12. I know we've read it in previous weeks. Uh, for when for the time... Ye ought to be teachers. Ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. That's where we started. So the very first week, we tried to lay a foundation, and we asked the question, what is the basis for our principles? And the basis is the Word of God. That's where we get all of our principles from. Second, the bi-level foundation. Some of these principles are very general truths, and some of them are very concrete commands and I think if you examine all the scriptures you'll find that there are general and concrete principles that are found then we found out that if you embrace these principles as your own they become convictions if you don't embrace them as your own if they're just forced upon you they're standards and again if all these things are just standards that you're being made to follow when you get an open door and a crack and, and, a, and a chance to run, you probably will. And that's why so many, particularly younger people, that have been raised in a Bible church and raised in a Bible home, that when they get to a certain age, they're gone. And you say, well, preacher, how is that even possible? They heard the same preaching, they had the same guidelines. To them, it was just a standard that was placed upon them they never embraced him. And so our challenge to you is get in the scriptures. Find what God says is true. And embrace those things. Because if you embrace them as a conviction, it won't matter if someone's around or not around, you will continue those. The very first principle is a principle of separation. You know that when we got saved, the Spirit of God moved inside. And his task from that day forward is to make us just like Jesus Christ. Well, we're, when we're lost, we're not like Jesus Christ. So there are some things that the Spirit of God is going to tell us to separate from. And the reason is because you and I are influenced by everyone that we allow close to us. That second week, we looked at the principle of always putting God first. And no matter what you do, God should always be first. If if you've embraced that, he'll get the first of your day, and he'll get the first of your week, and the first of your life, and the first of your increase, and the first of your considerations. Preacher, what principle are we going to look at tonight? Well, you can let go of Hebrews. I'd like you to turn there to Exodus chapter 28. We're going to look at a third principle this evening, and the word shows up in the Bible probably 40 times. But the very first time it shows up is here, is in Exodus chapter number 28. Exodus chapter 28, and look there in verse number 3. 
Exodus 28 and verse 3, And thou shalt speak unto all that are wise-hearted, whom I have filled with a spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him. We're going to look at this word called consecration. And if you're taking notes tonight, my title is The Principle of Living a Consecrated Life. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, again, thank you for each one that's come tonight. Lord, I know that some aren't here, and likely some, because they're not feeling well. Others, maybe they're still tied up at work. And Lord, we pray administer to each one that could not come. But Father, as we proceed now with yet another principle that we should get established in our life, would you help us first to understand what it is? Then, Lord, that we'd understand how important it is. And, Father, that we may have the desire to live that kind of a life. Help us tonight. Direct my words. Fill me with your spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. What we find here in this Exodus 28, verse 3, for the very first time, is this word consecrate. Now, the word consecrate means to be set apart for a specific use. Do you know there are some things that are in your home that are only used for one thing? This is going to sound like a gross example, but uh, a toilet brush. <laughs> Do you know that you only use a toilet brush for one thing? And you say, Pastor, that's a nasty thing. Aren't you glad that you have a toilet brush? You know the importance of it the day that you don't have a toilet brush. And close cousin to a toilet brush is a toilet plunger. Uh, we have a few in the building, and they're always helpful. And, and so uh, uh, something that's consecrated is set aside for a particular use. It's not used for 50 things, used for 100 things. It's not adaptable to every kind of situation. Something that is consecrated is something that's set aside for a particular use. Now, the context of Exodus 28, God is speaking. Back in Exodus 25, God called Moses to come up on Mount Sinai, and we've kind of spent some time Sunday nights with that. So God called Moses to come up on Mount Sinai. I read that in Exodus 24, verse 12. So sure enough, Moses climbs up that mountain, and beginning in Exodus 25, verse 1, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, and Moses is up there listening to God speak in chapter 25 and chapter 26, in chapter 27 and chapter 28. All of that is while Moses is up on that mountain. And when he gets to chapter 28, God says, Moses, there is something that I want you to consecrate. Back up there to Exodus 28, verse 1, and let's see what it is. Exodus 28, 1, And take thou unto the Aaron thy brother, and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. Verse 2. And thou shalt make holy garments for Aaron thy brother, for glory and for beauty. And thou shalt speak unto all that are wise-hearted, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him. It was at this point that God made the choice that he was going to take Aaron and his sons and set those men aside from the main line of the nation of Israel 
and they would no longer live a life like the rest of the nation of Israel, they would be set aside for a particular use. It says what that use is there in, again, in Exodus 28, verse 1. Middle of the verse, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. And so we that have been raised in Bible-preaching churches and read our Bible, we know that from that point forward, that Levitical tribe and that lineage of Aaron and the priesthood, that was their job. They didn't go around doing other things. We know that their clothing, according to verse 3, identified them as being consecrated their talk, their work, their ministry, and they did not have many of the tangible things that other Jews in the nation of Israel had because they had been consecrated for this particular use. Do you know that that word consecration is not only referred to people, but I want you to know that that word consecration is also used of things. Keep, uh, you don't need Exodus, we uh, can let that one go, but look over there, if you would, to Joshua chapter 6. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. So this word consecrate, it's not only used of people, and in this particular case, it was Aaron and his sons, they were consecrated to be priests, they were set aside for that purpose. You know, when you get to the book of Joshua, the new leader of Israel begins to lead the Jewish nation, and he begins to lead them all the way through that promised land. They cross the Jordan River. Anyone can tell me what the very first city they came to battle against? Jericho. And so before they entered Jericho, God told Joshua to tell the people, when you when you uh, conquer this first city of Jericho, you're not allowed, not allowed to take anything. It all belongs to God. It's all His. Don't touch any of it. And the Bible uses a particular word for the fact that it all belongs to the Lord. Look there in Joshua chapter number 6, and look in verse number 16. Joshua verse number 16. The Bible says, And it came to pass at the seventh time, when the priests blew with the trumpets, Joshua said unto the people, Shout, for the Lord hath given you this city. And then look at verse number 19. But all the silver and gold and vessels of brass and iron are, notice our word, consecrated unto the Lord. So this word consecration not only refers to people, but this word consecration also refers to things. And you know, we're looking tonight again, we're looking at the principle of consecration. You say, well, preacher, why is this the third principle? Well, you know that some people have been separated. They have separated themselves from certain others, but they've never yet consecrated their life to God. We'd have to agree that the Pharisees were separated, but they weren't totally consecrated to God. And then last week we looked at give uh, the Lord the first. And you know, you could give the Lord the first of everything and yet still never have consecrated your life to God. This business of consecration takes you beyond separation. It takes you beyond giving God the first. 
This principle of consecration is, is giving God your all. Now, a really corny illustration of what it means to give your all. I think I gave this one years ago, but uh, the farmyard animals were so excited because it was the queen's birthday that was coming up. And all the farmyard animals, they decided, what are we going to do for the queen because we want to give her a great birthday? And all these farm, farmyard animals began thinking what they were going to do until finally the chicken came up with a great idea. And the chicken came up to the pig. The chicken said, a great idea what we can do for the queen's birthday. The pig said, what's that? And he said, how about we give her a breakfast of bacon and eggs? That pig started thinking about that, and that pig said, I don't like the idea at all. For you, that's just a little sacrifice. For me, that's total commitment. Do you understand that? For the chicken, it was just laying an egg. For the pig, it was laying down its whole life. You can make some occasional sacrifices in your life for the Lord Jesus Christ, but that does not yet mean that you're consecrated. To be consecrated means to give yourself totally to God. So again, we're looking at this subject quick as we can on the principle of consecration. Would you first of all turn over there to 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, if you're taking an outline, first question was what is the basis for this principle of consecration? What is the basis for it? Pastor, how could you dare suggest that a Christian should be consecrated? Lord? What's your basis for making such a request? Well, look there in 1 Corinthians 6, verse number 19. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own, for ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now again, the question is said, why should I give my whole life to God? It's my life. I can do what I want. And of course, Paul must have had to deal with that notion there in this church at Corinth because he responds to that idea that this is my life, I can do what I want with it by saying this, what, know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own for you're bought with a price. If you are saved tonight, I know that would be the testimony of most. You no longer belong to you. When Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, Jesus died to pay the full price for your sin. So you're no longer yours, you're his. And so I begin by saying the basis for this principle of consecration is if you're saved, God owns you. And if God owns you, he has a complete right to do what he wants with what he owns. I talked just a couple days ago, I got a phone call from uh, a pastor out in Brunswick. And uh, he had a particular question on his mind and uh, answered that question. And I said, how's the ministry going? Many and I said, how's the church going? He said, well, I think all churches are having some struggles. But he said, uh, we're doing pretty good. I said, brother, years and years ago, your church bought a piece of land. 
And he said, way back then, we remember reading newsletters about your people going and clearing the brush and clearing the trees and how you were so anxious to build your church building on your church property. I said, have you ever built that building? And he said, it's a funny thing you should ask. He said, since that last newsletter that you must have read, he said, we have been saving money and continuing to clear the property. And he said, we have been drawing plans and getting engineer stamps on plans. And so I said, well, that's good news, isn't it? He said, well, I guess so. I said, well, what would be bad about that news? He said, because we are not physically on our property. He said, there have been groups of non-working people, that's a nice way to put it, who have set up their own settlement on our property. And he said they have moved in tents, and they have moved in shacks, and they have moved in shanties, and they have moved in barrels that they burn so that they can keep their hands warm and that they can have a fire. And he said they have basically taken over our property. I said, hold on a minute. That's your property. And he said, yeah, I know. I said, well, what do the police have to say about it? He said, well, for whatever reason, they're not too aggressive in this particular situation. So he said, they come on the property and talk to these people. Now he said, they have to climb over all the trash and the garbage. He said, these people don't know how to clean anything up. But he said, they cl climb all over the trash, all over the garbage. And he said, they come and talk to these people. And these people nod to acknowledge, yes, they realize it's not their property. Yes, they realize they should get off of the property. Yes, we'll do that. And he said, no sooner do the police leave, and they just settle right back in and enjoy. And he said, Brother Carlson, I can't tell you how many times the police have come on the property that belongs to us to tell these people to leave. And he said, they haven't left yet. Uh, folks, when I listened to that, it, like it, my, my ankles started getting red, and it worked up to my knees. And I got, I got red hips there, and it, it got red all the way here, and red here. And, and if you are a clear-thinking person, you should think the same way. That's not their property. They have no business being on their property. I gave him a couple of suggestions of what I thought he should do. And he said, well, I don't want to be behind bars. And so, now you say, Pastor, that would make me absolutely livid. How do you think God thinks? He went to the cross of Calvary to save your and my soul. And he bought us. And yet, how many Christians have decided, I'll do what I want with God's property. First thing we learn about this consecration is what is the basis for this principle of consecration. And the basis are, is, if you're saved, then God owns you. I give you a second thing. Look there in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Okay, Pastor, we've looked at the basis for consecration. God bought us, God owns us. Well, let's look at the second thing. Notice in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, I know that many, many have memorized this. It's another verse about consecration. Paul writes, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, 
holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, Paul is writing to Christians. Paul is writing to Christians whose bodies belong to Jesus Christ. And yet, notice a strange thing he uses, and I'm using bees tonight, uh, beseech. He said, I beseech you. That word beseech is like beg, seriously ask, intensely want. Now, you know, because God owns us, God could command and God could demand our consecration. Then, preacher, why is it that we read about someone beseeching, begging a Christian to hand their whole life over to Jesus Christ? The answer to that question is, if you won't consecrate your life to Jesus Christ, it won't stay consecrated. He said, I'm begging you to do this because if it's not voluntary on your part, it just won't last. And again, I've given the example of some younger believers who are made to do certain things. Just as soon as the doors open that they don't have to and can't be made to, they stop. And so again, I give you, why is it a beseeching for this principle of consecration and I say the answer is because if it's not voluntary on our part, it just won't last. I wonder if there's ever been a time where you kneeled at an altar and say, Lord, you've got all of me. And see, Pastor, I, I, I can remember a time where I said that. Back preacher, I can remember two times. I can remember three. No, maybe it's four. What? It should only have to have been made once truth is this world has a way of stealing back what we've given to God. That's why Paul says, I'm begging you. Why beg? Because if it's not given voluntarily, it won't last. I give you a third thing while you're still in Romans 12. Look in verse number two. Following on the heels of the need to willingly consecrate our lives, verse one, he says there in verse number two, and be not conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Could I give you a third? What is the blessing of living this principle of consecration? What's the blessing? Pretty sure if I do it, what do I get out of it? <laughs> well, you satisfy God. He gave his life to, do, to buy you. Verse number two talks about, first of all, the people that won't consecrate. There at the beginning of verse 2, but be not conformed to this word. If you do not willingly tell God, God, you've got all of me, lock, stock, and barrel, T, totally, unconditionally. Those are all the statements Brother Green used to say. If, if you don't willingly say, God, you've got my lips, you've got my tongue, you've got my body, you've got my hands, it's just a matter of time until you become just like the world. You'll be conformed to this world. There's plenty of Christians from an outside observation. You and I could not tell that they were Christian. There's no evidence of it. They become conformed to be just like the rest of this world. But if you will consecrate, look at the rest of verse number two. It says, but be transformed. Instead of being like the world, you will be transformed 
by the renewing of your mind, it will change your mind, it will change your outlook, it'll change your thought patterns, it'll change your desires, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What is the blessing of living this principle of consecration? Your life will enjoy God's richest blessings without any regrets. I think that some of you would have heard the name William Booth. William Booth was a man that founded the Salvation Army. And God used him in a tremendous way to reach street people for Christ. There was another preacher, J. Wilbur Chapman, that was going to England and he wanted to visit William Booth just before Booth died. Chapman did get in to visit that old man, now in bed, bedridden. Chapman later wrote this, when I looked into his face and saw him brush back his hair from his brow and heard him speak of the trials and the conflicts and the victories, I said, General Bluth, tell me what has been the secret of your success. Bluth hesitated for just a second. Tears began uh, running down from his eyes, down his cheeks. And he said, I'll tell you the secret. God has had all there was of me to have. There may have been men with greater opportunities. There may have been men with greater skills. But from the day I got the poor of London on my heart and a vision of what Jesus Christ could do, I made up my mind that God would have all there was of William Booth. And if there's anything of power in the Salvation Army today, it is because God has had all the adoration of my heart, all the power of my will, all the influence of my life. And he continued by saying, I learned from William Booth the greatness of a man's power is a measure of his surrender. Say, preacher, what are the blessings that come from this principle of consecration? God will do something in your life that's completely different than what God does with a host of other Christians that are just like the world. Not only you'd recognize William Booth, but maybe you'd recognize D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody, of course, was a preacher, but he was also an effective evangelist. He went to England. He was invited to preach a series of meetings. And while he was at one of those meetings, another preacher, Henry Varley, made this statement. The world is yet to see what God will do with a man fully consecrated to him. Moody heard that. Moody had already been an evangelist. Moody went back to the States with that thought, the world is yet to see what God will do with a man fully consecrated to him. And you know the next time that Moody had a chance to go back to England... He found that man, Henry Varley, and he said, those were the words that were sent to my soul through you from the living God as I crossed the wide Atlantic. The boards of the deck of the vessel were engraved with those words. And when I reached Chicago, the very paving stones seemed marked with them. And under the power of those words, I've come back to England. I felt it was necessary to let you know that challenge changed my life. You know, for 30 years, Moody labored. It's estimated over one million people were saved under his ministry. And when he died, his successor, R.A. Torrey, said, the first thing that accounts for God's using D.L. Moody so mightily was that he was a fully consecrated man.
every ounce of his 280-pound body belonged to God. Everything he was and everything he had belonged wholly to God. Folks, God will do something. Pastor, why would I be consecrated when so many other believers are just content to just fit right in this with this world? Because God will transform your thinking. God will transform your desires and your ideals, and God will do something in your life that he's not doing with a host of others. I gave you two examples. There are multiple examples of those that God used that were consecrated. You know why it's so hard to come up with examples of those who weren't consecrated? Because nothing profound was done for God in their life. Again, we've seen three things. I want to close with the fourth one. Look there in Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter number 19, we've seen the basis for consecration. If you're saved, God owns you. We have seen the beseeching. Why would it be a beseeching? Because if you don't consecrate voluntarily, it won't last. Third thing we saw is what is the blessing of being consecrated? Your life will enjoy God's richest blessings without any regrets. Finally, Matthew 19, look at verse 21. Jesus said unto him, let's back up, what's this about? Well, a young man came to Christ. Look at the question the young man asked, verse 16. And behold, one came and said unto him, to Christ, Good Master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Well, of course, the Lord was able to look down deep into this young man's heart, and he recognized in his heart was a love for something more than a love for God. It turned out to be a love for things. And that's why the Lord responded to this young man, verse 21. Jesus saith unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give it to the poor. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And you know, he, there were just some things that he wasn't willing to give total control to Jesus Christ. That's consecration. My last, very last point, what belongs to God? If I live this life of consecration, what belongs to God if I live this life of consecration? You know, I think that this young man, God could see deep into his heart. And as God looked into his heart, he could see there was something and that he wasn't yet willing to give up. Preacher, what would belong to God if I was consecrated? Your body would. Your children would. All of your rights would the right to your time and the right to your treatment at the hands of others, your right to revenge. Your will would belong to God. Your future would be gone, belong to God. Your position, your possessions, your reputation. And you know, just as much as Jesus could look into this young man's heart, and he didn't take five guesses before he got it. Our Lord wouldn't take five guesses before he found out what's that one thing that we want to hold on to. You know, it's that one thing that keeps you and me from being consecrated. It might be your reputation amongst your friends. It might be the appearance of success before this world. There was a 
mother that gave her teenage girl a dozen roses. The girl was so excited until the mother said, they're not for you. The mother said, I've got a friend, a dear friend that's sick in the hospital. And I want you to take these dozen roses in this vase, and I want you to go to the hospital because I'm not able to. I want you to go find her room, and I want you to take it in, and I want you to give this as a gift to my friend. Well, that daughter couldn't get over the fact that the roses weren't for her. And so as she left her mother's room, she began to debate whether she was going to deliver all 12 of these long stem roses. And so instead of taking all 12 to that hospital, she just took one rose out, put, took the rest of them into her own bedroom. She knew she couldn't leave it out in the dresser. Her mother would see it, so she opened up the closet and put these 11 roses in the vase, in the closet, shut the door, and she smuggled out this one rose, goes to the hospital, goes to the floor, goes to the door, opens the door, walks in, says, I'm the daughter of your good friend who wants me to send you this gift. And you know, that sick friend thought, what a blessing. What an absolute sweet young lady this is. Having no idea that that young lady was as dishonest as the day is long. And so this girl trots back home thinking no one will ever know. And she gets feeling a little guilty. And so the next day she takes out another rose from the closet, shuts the door, takes it to the hospital room, brings in a second rose. And you know that series of events lasted for 12 days. And every time this sick person in the hospital thought, what a wonderful young lady. Folks, she was anything but wonderful. She had conned others into thinking something great about herself. But she knew in her own heart that she was anything but good. And you know, just like that mother gave that gift to this girl to go deliver it to be a blessing to someone else, God not only gave you and I the gift of salvation to deliver to someone else, but folks, God has endowed us with so many things not to keep to ourselves, not to enjoy just ourselves, but to be a help to somebody else. The strange thing is uh, about it is, of course, she was never consecrated. But in her efforts to enjoy what God had given her to be a blessing, what her mother had given her to be a blessing to someone else, even she couldn't enjoy those things. She had to hide them in a closet. And folks, if God does not have complete control of everything that he's giving you, your life, your family, your children, your job, your future, your plans, if God doesn't have full control of it, first, you're not a consecrated Christian. You might be able to kid and, and fool and buffalo people into thinking you're the finest thing there is. But you and God know better. But you're never going to get to enjoy those things if you keep them to yourself. That's the principle of consecration. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this principle. And Lord, it's possible to 
separate from some things and yet never be consecrated. It's possible to give God first of our day and first of our week, first of our life and first of our uh, increase and first of our considerations and yet not still be consecrated to God. Lord, you took Aaron and his sons and set them apart for a specific use. You said those men were consecrated. Lord, you said that first city of Jericho, as they marched in, everything there belonged to God. It was consecrated. And Lord, just like that, everyone here tonight that has been born again, we're not our own. We've been bought with a price. And we need to be consecrated. Lord, you won't make us. You'll give us a choice. Of course, once we make that choice, we can't decide all the results from it. You can step off a sky-rise building, but that's the last choice. You've got all the rest of what happens is out of our control. So, Lord, would you help us to make this choice? It's reasonable, Paul said. Lord, there's all kinds of blessings that come by being consecrated. Father, we've seen here that it's what we refuse to give our God control of that prevents our consecration. And it's those little things that rob us of our joy and rob us of our satisfaction. I pray that you'd help some this evening to decide, Lord, you saved my soul. I belong to you. Help me to live this consecrated life. We ask these things in Jesus' name.